0: This is KVRX 91.7 Austin, and you are listening to Dialectica, an examination of the civic, political, and economic issues that matter to us all on global, national, and local levels. Dialectica is brought to you by students of the LBJ School of Public Affairs and is produced in partnership with the LBJ Journal of Public Affairs. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Hello, my name is Sachin Shah, I'm a first-year Master's in Global Policy student at the University of Texas at Austin, LBJ School of Public Affairs. Before coming to the LBJ School, I worked as a hydrologist with the United States Geological Survey and learned a tremendous amount about water resource issues and how it affects water management decisions here in Texas. I decided to interview two experts on water, both in the science and policy realm. What you'll hear next is the audio of that interview. I'm here today with two experts on water issues, not only in Texas, but nationally as well. So I have with me Mr. Bob Joseph, Director of the U.S. Geological Survey, Texas Water Science Center here in Austin, Texas, and also Dr. Bill Hutchison, who is the Director of the Groundwater Resources Division at the Texas Water Development Board, also here in Austin. Welcome to you both, and thanks so much for joining me. Um, So just a a background. So now the the purpose of today's show is to discuss the marriage, if there indeed is one, between water science and water policy and how or if the two complement one another. So as we know here here in Texas, Texas has a unique and many aspects of when it comes to the subject of water resources. And that goes anywhere from any of our recent droughts population growth, um, aquifer mining, desalinization, and groundwater resources and this thing called the rule of capture, which we'll touch upon very briefly. And here in Texas, there are many players when it comes to water resources issues, whether that is for data collection, dissemination, decision-making, and planning. And that's essentially where both of you come in. So. Let me start with you, Mr. Joseph. I'd like to start off on a broader sense of what exactly does the U.S. Geological Survey do, what's their role, and what's their mission when it comes to water resources issues in
2: general? Well, the role of the USGS is that of a science agency. USGS is within the Department of Interior and has no regulatory authority land or water resources management responsibilities. We are focused on collection of information, hydrologic or natural sciences in nature, and providing that to water resources managers, land managers, and the general public so that they can make decisions based upon the science without regard to uh, the science possibly being swayed by the manager's role as a non-regulatory, non-management agency. We collect the science, and process our information through a peer review process, which is then used by the local managers to make, Im- make the decisions that they see fit based upon their local needs. So, taking that science
1: perspective, Does the Texas Water Development Board take that science and make management decisions? What is their role?
3: Well, the Texas Water Development Board actually has three functions. The foundation of everything is science, uh, groundwater monitoring, groundwater modeling, those sorts of things. That foundation is supplemented by USGS studies, our own uh, contract research grant studies, our own internal studies, uh, our own data collection, and so forth. The second kind of part of the pyramid, if you will, is relates to planning. Uh, the foundation of any good plan is good science, and there are 16 regions in the state, and each one of them is responsible for developing a regional water plan. And every five years they, they do that, and then each of those 16 plans then gets rolled into the state water plan. Now, as part of developing water, you have to plan for it, and the foundation of that is good science and then good planning. Those projects that are then identified in the regional plans and therefore in the state plan, then need money. And the final part of the pyramid here at the Water Development Board is providing loans and grants to develop these projects. So you think of it in terms of a pyramid, good foundation on science, which leads into planning, which leads into funding the projects.
1: So then from a scientific standpoint, what data is necessary then to collect and interpret this data so that water managers can actually make these decisions? And then the development board can take those decisions and yield them as proper
2: or not proper. Well, with the USGS role as a federal agency, we have large national programs which are very regional in scope. But then we also work with state agencies such as the Water Development Board and other local entities to conduct research, science, studies, and or data collection and monitoring efforts that help them meet their local interest and needs. So you can have varying focuses, and the USGS role really covers both focus. A large regional perspective or even perhaps a national perspective, but then with the Water Development Board and some of their partners and the regional water planning groups, those folks are looking maybe at a much more specific area. So the science and the data needs to fulfill those needs are much different than perhaps from a national perspective. So you mentioned
1: that the USGS does not help make water management decisions based on the data that they collect. So when it comes to the data that the survey collects, can you give me, can you, Dr. Hutchison, give me a brief background on how the data that's collected is used in your decision making, your planning process, and your loans and grants process?
3: Well, the, the basic concept that we work under is, I guess for lack of a better term, groundwater availability and understanding how much groundwater is available from a scientific standpoint and from a planning standpoint to decide whether a project is viable. And there's no need to fund a project if the water's not available, so you need to have planned for it and scientifically understand whether it is available or not.
1: So within that perspective, can you go into a little bit about uh, the general water policy or laws that are currently in place in the state of Texas?
3: Well, in terms of groundwater law, groundwater is considered a private property uh, concept here in Texas. Back in 1904, that was um, first declared such under the, the old English common law, rule of capture, which basically means if you own a piece of ground and you pump groundwater, you can use it as much as you want for whatever you want. And through the years, the only conditions on that, you can't waste it, and you can't intentionally hurt somebody through your pumping. However, if through your pumping, you uh, essentially dry up your neighbor's well, there's no action uh, you know, for you doing that. Over the years, over the next 50 years or so, that was the basically the rule in place for groundwater development. Around in the late 40s, early 50s, Uh, the state legislature began the process which has now turned into about 96 local groundwater conservation districts where those districts then have the ability to either alter, modify, or abandon the rule of capture and apply whatever limits they want in terms of well spacing or well production. And that has to be implemented through a management plan and rules to implement the management plan so depending on each area it actually uh, reflects local conditions where in East Texas where it rains a lot versus West Texas where there isn't a lot of uh, water to begin with to a lot less water to manage each district then can tailor their own regulatory program to the local hydrologic and socioeconomic conditions now over the years those districts uh, the number of districts grew quite a bit and then back in uh, about, about 10 years ago, um, groundwater management areas were created. And back, in 19, and back in 2005, districts within a particular region, there are 16 regions now, different somewhat different than the planning regions. And districts within each of those areas, groundwater management areas, have to develop what's known as desired future conditions, which is basically a broad policy goal of where they want the aquifer to be in 50 years. So this requires the districts to actually plan together within these various regions. And there can be as, you know, just two or three districts within a region, as many as 20 districts within a region that have to come up with these desired future conditions. And that is more of a prescribed method of developing estimates of availability. Before it was, before 2005 it was a little soft in terms of exactly what availability meant. Now, under this new program or this new uh, law, groundwater availability is, is better defined, at least in terms of how it how you go about figuring it out through this desired future conditions process.
1: So Mr. Joseph, do you feel, based upon the policy that's in place, the laws that are in place within the desired future condition issues, do you feel more can be done uh, by policymakers to incorporate scientists for better decision-making techniques for these groundwater district managers?
2: Well, I believe <clears throat> that within the uh, structure that the Water Development Board and the, and the State Legislature has put forth they are using science to the uh, extent possible that they can. The limiting factor with some of these regions is that there are very few people and Uh, Very little data that has been collected or wells available to really understand what's perhaps happened in the past in terms of water use, water level changes. So there are a number of areas in the state where they have a very dense network of wells, have a very good understanding of the past history of the wells and the current pumpage situation, and other areas that are still evolving additional information could possibly be used but I think in general with any study as a scientist people would like more information so they always feel that they would need more information to really understand the situation and that's just not possible so given the constraints with uh, the timelines and the rapid growth within the state of Texas the water development board is doing a very good job to work with the science that's available but then projecting f- to future needs to supply water for people that will have a population in Texas that will double by the year 2050.
1: And when you say information, what kind of information are we talking about? That's collected?
2: Well, the Water Development Board uses information to determine what's the thickness of the aquifer. What are the water levels that are uh, currently in the system? How, how do those water levels react to recharge events, age-dating, collecting water quality information within the aquifer system? Because it's one thing to have water, but is it of water that's of high enough quality to be used for, say, a drinking water source? So
1: do any of the data that you collect result in any kind of disagreements
2: between local water managers and state
1: policymakers?
2: Well, we look at water availability as the properties of the aquifer, and the amount of aqu- aquifer level or water level within the aquifer system and that's given our density of data available on a regional scale can be very different than what a local regional water planning group and or groundwater management district might feel is available water based upon their socio-academic interest as well as the density of data that they use and how they use that information so they're is the science perspective but then there's also a uh, a local perspective and interest in how will, how they would like to manage the system the usgs does not cl- manage the system so we have a different perspective on what water availability is
1: and that brings me to climate change and specifically drought the drought in texas especially here in austin and in central texas is making headlines internationally so, in the August edition of The Economist, it talks about the financial pressure it's put on the agricultural sector. And we've estimated, uh, Texas has estimated to have lost $3.6 billion, and it's rising. So, how difficult is it, just on a socioeconomic level, how difficult is it for policymakers and uh, those that are within, within groundwater management areas? where losses are occurring to actually permit water, despite the fact that cattle operations, for example, are actually scraping to purchase extra feet for their operation.
3: Well, the bottom line, droughts occur here, and wet periods occur here. This is nothing new. Uh, I mean, the old joke about uh, Central Texas, if you don't like the weather, just wait a couple of days and it'll change. And we have been in a pretty persistent drought over the last couple years, and some believe that it's as bad as the drought of what's known as the drought of record back in the 1950s. In some areas, that's true. In other areas, it's close enough to basically be true. Um, tree ring studies have suggested that the drought of the 50s was indeed pretty severe. There may have been one or two that were just as bad, you know, three or 400 years ago, uh, other information that, that's been developed suggests that the uh, mega drought in the late 1300s and early 1400s, again, based on tree ring data, was even more severe. So these are, any, any water system is going to be vulnerable to climatic variability or just weather variability. You know, and keep in mind, weather is short-term, climate is long-term. So when people talk about climate change, they're talking about things that are changing over a century-level time scale. So it's pretty hard for us, uh, who have basically been working and in, in living in this area for 100 years to really truly understand climate change because <laughs> the record isn't all that long. And so we have to go to these proxies like tree rings to, to get a better understanding of what the true variability is. And that's something that any water manager has to, has to understand. Whether your record is just 20 or 30 years long or 100 years long, you always want more information in order to make certain decisions on how vulnerable your system is to to drought, because it will happen, and it will happen again. So,
1: and and this is a, a collective question for the both of you, do you feel there is room for improvement between the marriage between science and policy here in Texas? Mr. Joseph, you go first.
2: Well, I believe Bill just touched on it. As scientists, you want more information, and I believe that the Water Development Board is seeking more information all the time, and their partners have questions, such as tree reading studies. What was the drought conditions in the past? How long did they persist? So there's need for more information, and people need information in a real-time fashion. So data sharing. Data sharing is, is very important, and having information available to the public providing information to the public helps uh, educate the public and understand their system better. Twenty years ago, there was not the technology to understand how water levels changed on a daily basis. Now the technology is there to see that after a storm event, water level, groundwater levels in the San Antonio area can rebound tens of feet in a day. That was not understood in 20 years ago, but now the technology is there for information, and now the general public can see that information. And Texas does a very good job of explaining things to the public. There are very few places in the country where you can see on the daily news what are the water levels in the aquifer system, as you can in San Antonio, and what are the, the levels in the local lake system here in Austin, because people now understand that's where their water Comes from and originates, and that they're trying to protect that resource. I believe there are probably more people here that understand where their water comes from than where milk comes from. They think brown cows make milk, brown milk. So <laughs> people here really understand where their water originates and how to protect the resource.
1: Good point. Um, anything to add, Doctor?
3: Well, the one thing that that I've I'd like to think anyway, is that this process, this Desired Future Conditions process, is an attempt to better integrate science and policy. The Desired Future Condition establishment is really a policy decision. In and of itself it isn't, there isn't much science in it because you're dealing with all these other factors by the local districts. Once the Desired Future Conditions are articulated, then it's our job to basically evaluate that and turn it into what we call a managed available groundwater estimate, which is the water, and so the water availability becomes a marriage between the policy and the science by definition. Now, through the DFC establishment process, decision makers are you know, are going to look at information such as, well, if we set a DFC at this amount or at this level, um, What are the implications in terms of how much water we can pump? And so by varying that and looking at a range of conditions, looking at alternatives, they're looking at a policy decision in light of what the availability of water might be. So they're actually in the process of developing the DFC, considering alternatives that will help them make a decision and understand how much water can be pumped, which then leads back to the, in the the loop, if you will, of socioeconomic development and those sorts of things. So I would like to think that we're moving into an era now where science and policy are being combined in sort of a a prescriptive fashion that will help advance uh, development and management of resources in a responsible way with some understanding of where things will be 50 years from now. If you look at the drawdown map that's in the state water plan that has been calculated by, from pre-development times basically in the last hundred years. You see all kinds of drawdown combs where water levels have changed quite a bit over the last hundred years. And you can look at that and say, well, who decided who it was, what, how that was going to look? Well the answer is nobody. It just sort of happened. Now we have an opportunity to have some say on a broad policy level of what it's going to look like 50 years from now with some science foundation to it. So my last question is,
1: this is an open-ended question. For the both of you. we In the West, California is going through an enormous drought. In the East, Georgia is going through some water uh, lawsuits. So compared to both of those, how do you feel Texas is doing when it comes to water management
3: nationally? Well, I would like to think that we're at the forefront. There are a number of states where uh, there is central control of groundwater, and it's a lot of those states, hydrologically, they're fairly homogeneous, Utah comes to mind, or New Mexico. Um, California, they do not have a centrally state-controlled system, and they also have great hydrologic variability. their, their system relies a lot on moving water from one part of the state to the other. And there have been a lot of issues and problems associated with that in terms of taking water from where it is to where it's needed and the, the resulting impacts. Uh, Georgia, their problems of the litigation basically revolves around interstate uh, problems of rivers flowing from one state to the other. and the upstream state, in this case Georgia, taking water at the expense of potential users in Alabama and environmental resources in Florida. Um, Texas is in a unique position because it has a um, solid tradition of local control, local planning uh, as evidenced by the groundwater conservation districts which became or started to become in formation back in the early 50s, and it's and it's expanded since then, and so there's a good tradition of local control, local knowledge of of the issues, not not wholesale um, water transfers from one part of the state to the other. Although that's certainly a possibility in the future, but it's being done with some foresight, some planning and a good foundation of scientific um, knowledge of of the groundwater systems in the state.
1: Well, thank you both so much. Again, I had Mr. Bob Joseph, director of the USGS Texas Water Science Center, and Dr. Bill Hutchison, director of the Groundwater Resources Division at the Texas Water Development Board. Thanks so much for joining me, and hopefully this makes the issue of water more transparent and accessible, not only for our water managers, but for the general public as well.
0: Dialectica has been brought to you by the students of the LBJ School of Public Affairs in partnership with the LBJ Journal of Public Affairs. Sources for our show can be found on our website, which can be accessed through kbrx.org. Any opinions offered on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of the LBJ School of Public Affairs, the University of Texas, or KBRX Student Radio. Thank you to our producers and our guests, and remember, you are listening to KBRX Austin.